first. He got a job with the government and was hired in 2012 to work for the Navy. He was assigned to help design the nuclear reactors for the next generation of submarines for the country. You can see why I picked this opening <laughs> illustration. He went to work each day. He contributed to the team he was on. He helped move the project forward. He was developing the submarine secrets, which would keep our nation safe. And he was selling those secrets to a foreign government. You can go to the Department of Justice website and read these words. On April 1st, 2020, Jonathan Tobe sent a package to a foreign government containing a sample of restricted data and instructions for establishing a covert relationship to purchase additional restricted data. Thereafter, Tobe began corresponding via encrypted email with an individual he believed was representative of the foreign government. The individual was really an undercover FBI agent. On June 8th, 2021, the undercover agent sent $10,000 in cryptocurrency to him. And now summarizing the rest for you. On June 26th, they sent another payment of $20,000. On August 28th, a payment of $70,000. And on October 9th, they sent a team of FBI agents and NCIS agents to arrest him and his wife. If my math is right, he had received a grand total of $100,000, $100,000, not $100 million, not $10 million, not even $1 million, just $100,000, $100,000 for a country less secure, $100,000 for American servicemen being more vulnerable, $100,000 for his own loyalty to the country, for his life destroyed for his reputation in tatters, and I'm pretty sure he had to give back the $100,000 anyway. He had all the appearance of loyalty. He might have actually thought he was loyal. Who knows when he started off? But no man can serve two masters. And something else was on the throne of his heart, not the good of this country. Well, in Matthew 19, someone comes to Jesus and they're looking for salvation. Think of that for a minute. Has somebody come to you looking for salvation? How would you answer them? How exciting of an opportunity would that be? This, this person, though, they are what you would call a good prospect. All the appearance of loyalty. He is a good Jew from a good Jewish family. He has lived a morally upright life, a benefit to his community. He's a good neighbor. He's rich, which, of course, is a clear mark of God's favor in the culture at the time. He's young with so much potential. He's a ruler. This is the prospect of all prospects with the appearance of loyalty to God written all over him. He comes to Jesus asking the way to salvation. So we're going to read in Matthew 19, we're going to read uh, verse 16 through the end of the chapter, but we're going to do it in two different, the two different paragraphs. So the first thing we're going to look at is unmasking loyalties. 
unmasking loyalties. Matthew 19, verse 16, this is God's word. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. God, we ask that you would, read, you would bless the reading, the preaching, and the applying of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this young man comes and he asks Jesus, essentially, what must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And Jesus, perceiving the man's heart, proceeds to walk a road of taking off the masks and revealing what's really in the heart. Because this guy, as we said, he looked good on the outside. He had every appearance of loyalty to God. But, he, but Jesus walks him through in kind of three stages. And the first stage is just addressing the obvious and is addressing what the young man was thinking about, which is obeying the law. So Jesus replies to him to keep the commandments. And he says, okay, which ones? Teacher, which commandments should I, should I keep? And so Jesus lists, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus lists uh, what's called the second table of the law. It's the second half of the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Commandments which have to do with others. First half has to do with God. Ironically, Jesus doesn't touch those. He just talks about the Ten Commandments which have to do with others. And then he adds one of his own, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not actually in the Ten Commandments. Jesus, Jesus adds that. Obviously, it is a summary of a great portion of the law. And the, the young man says, well check, got that, did that. Is that it? Am I good? Now, I, I want us to see he's earnest. He actually wants salvation, right? Like, wait, are you sure? Like, I already knew, I already knew that, and I've been trying to do that my whole life. I think we would be wrong if we just assumed he, you know, just bathed in arrogance and just, you know, I think he actually thought he had kept the commands. I think he was giving effort to keeping the commands. I think he wanted to be saved. He's talking to Jesus about it, and he's essentially saying, are you sure? Is that all that there is? Because all those things I have done. And so Jesus, now having shown the man's reliance on the law, presses in in stage two. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, verse 20, what do I still lack? Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Go and sell. Give to the poor. This could be an application of love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Take all this stuff that you've accumulated, sell it, give the proceeds to those who are around you, and, and you will have treasure in heaven. Notice that Jesus actually promises him treasure in heaven. So, so he's not just saying, get rid of all your treasure. He's saying, go, go sell all your treasure, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And as he says this to the man, it reveals the true loyalty in his heart. It reveals that he does not, in fact, love others more than himself. That he is not, in fact, prepared to live for others as more important than himself. In fact, it shows that God himself is not on the throne of this man's heart. That throne is occupied. Something else is on the throne of his heart, and that thing governs, and it rules, and it reigns, and it makes demands upon this man. He had a clean life, but he had an occupied throne of his heart. He had pledged allegiance to the world, and he wasn't willing to undo that. And so his true loyalty is unmasked a loyalty to the stuff of earth, a loyalty to his own possessions and his own wealth. He loved the world, and he loved the world more than he loved God, and he was not willing to repent of it. Verse 22 says that the young man heard this. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It tells us what's going on in his heart. He was sorrowful because he had great possessions and he was unwilling to part with them. I wonder why, I wonder what had grabbed him. Was it the security that money promises? Was it the safety that supposedly comes along with a bank account? Was it, was it the pleasure that can be purchased from money or the popularity that often comes with it. We don't know for sure. We just know that this is what governed his heart. And what's amazing is he's talking to Jesus and he wasn't unattracted to Jesus. That's why he was there. He was attracted to Christ. The problem was he was more attracted to the world and unwilling to repent. And so he missed the most significant words in what Jesus said. Here's all the guy could hear. Go and sell everything. And he just crumbled under it. I can't let go of my idol. I, I can't give up everything. Give me, an, Jesus, just tell me another command to keep. You know, don't make me give up my idol. Don't make me give up what I live for. Don't make me give up what I worship. Don't make me give up my God. And of course, Jesus requires precisely that of all that would follow him. So all the man could hear was go and sell. And he, all he could hear is that I will have nothing. And he missed 
the life-giving words. He missed stage three in what Jesus led him through. He missed missed the, the offer of salvation itself because Jesus did say, go and sell. But then he says in verse 21, if you be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. There's a go and sell and there's a come and follow. He couldn't even hear the come and follow. Come and follow was just, just lost in the noise that was, that was there at the terror of going. And so I, if I go and sell, I'll have nothing. And he missed that if he would just go and sell, he was being offered everything. Come and follow me, says Jesus to this one. Here's the path of salvation. Here's the road of salvation. Jesus Christ, following him, is the path of salvation. Here's the thing, you got to repent. And it's not optional. Because no one can serve two masters. The loyalty is going to be revealed. It's like trying to walk two directions at the same time. This week, as you know, we drove, well, we went to Florida. I actually drove to Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I got off for gas at one of those exits, and I got confused getting back on, and I almost got back on going northbound on 95. I'm really glad I didn't do that, you know? You're just kind of like, you just want it to get over. You're like wasting time, right? So, but there's a reality. You cannot drive towards D.C., and towards Orlando at the same time. This is not hard to figure out. This is exceedingly obvious in our lives. You can only walk in one direction. And here's the thing. You're going to walk in the direction of what you love the most and what you worship and what governs your affections. And insofar as that's not God, you will not be pursuing God. Friend, repentance is required to follow Jesus. Repentance, the road example is really good, means you get off at an exit, you you flip a U-E, and you go the other way. That's what repentance is. It means you stop going the direction you're going, you turn around, you renounce that direction, and you commit to walking in a new direction. It's a turn around, and this is what this man refused to do. He refused to turn from that which governed his heart. And I want to speak to those who are here today. Perhaps you are a young person growing up in this church. Perhaps you're a guest that's just joining us for one of the first time. We're glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Perhaps you're an adult that's been coming for a long time. Really, it could be anyone here I wonder if you ever had your heart unmasked and your true loyalties exposed. What are you living for? Have you had that confrontation with Jesus where he takes the masks off and shows you? Because I'll tell you what, this rich young man, as he came in, he thought he was living for God until he met Jesus and it unmasked his true loyalties. And he went away sorrowful, unwilling to repent. Friend, have you had that encounter with Jesus Christ? Where you go from growing up in a Christian home or attending church all your life or 
I'm in America and Americans are Christians or whatever that is. And you, you go from that to, to him revealing what you're living for. And what are you living for? Maybe like the rich young man, you're, you're, you're living for stuff. You're living for possessions. You're living for safety. Maybe it's something different than him. Maybe, maybe it's reputation for you. What people think of you. Maybe it's, it's, it's living for that next promotion or living for the right relationship. Or The problem, problem is that if we're living for anything other than God, even if those things are good in and of themselves, they become evil when exalted above God. What are you living for? And friend, are you willing to repent? If Jesus were to come to you, whatever it is, possessions or, or reputation, and he says to you, go and sell it all. Will you do so? These are the words of Christ to you, friend. Go and sell. Go and sell. Go and sell. Whatever it is, whatever's governing, whatever's ruling, if it's not Christ, go and sell it right away. Because the thing is, when, when something sits on that throne of your life, and all of a sudden, those things you possess actually possess you. Those things you think you own actually own you. And here goes this man away from the king of life, the, the word of Christ right there saying, come and follow me. And he goes away sorrowful because there's something else ruling his heart. Have you repented? Friend, go and sell whatever it is. Go and sell that you may come and follow. That you may come and follow Jesus Christ. Number two, we're going to look at the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance. And we're going to look at the, the last paragraph together. So come back to your Bibles with me. We're going to read verse 23 down to verse 30. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. God's word. Jesus well understood how difficult repentance could be. First of all, we just saw the guy walk away refusing to repent, though he had heard the invitation from Christ himself. And then Jesus begins to teach his disciples how hard repentance can be. In verse 23, truly I say to you, only with 
difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is, up to this point, we will say, very hard. It is very hard. And Jesus connects it to riches. We were just talking about the rich young ruler. Why is it hard for those who are rich? Because the more we possess, the more we tend to be possessed by what we possess. But it could be riches. It could be popularity. You want to know a foolish aspiration that I had when I was a kid? I wanted to be in the NBA. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I did. I loved the NBA. I watched it. These guys are great. I'd, I'd watch a game. I'd go outside and shoot and practice one day. Some point I got to the age of recognizing that probably wasn't in the cards. And about that time, I got to the point of saying, God, thank you. I don't know how I would have followed you with all the temptation that comes down that road. How hard is it to follow Jesus when the world is thrown at your feet? It is hard to repent and turn. The disciples hear this and they are amazed. It says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? They kind of get what Jesus is saying and they press the point a little further. Who then can be saved? I don't know what your Bible says. I just got to say, one of the translations I was reading when it says that the disciples were greatly astonished, says that they were flabbergasted. It was like, really? Like in the Bible, flabbergasted? Like, that's great. So when the disciples heard this, they were flabbergasted and said, who then can be saved? I think it's kind of a rhetorical question, but Jesus takes it at face value and gives this unexpected and terrible answer with man, this is impossible. Who can be saved? Who can repent? With man, this is impossible. It is not something that is possible for a human being to do. Can a, can a zebra change its stripes? Can a bird change its feathers? Can a tree give off different fruit? Can a man change his heart or a woman her desires? Can a person change themselves from loving the world to loving God? Here's the answer. With man, this is impossible. It is not something that can be done. Jesus, in that sense, is preaching an impossible gospel. A gospel that requires a repentance to the core. He's not just saying, stop sinning and follow me. He's saying, sin can no longer be what governs your heart and your desires. It can't be on the throne. It's not as simple as an action. Hey, buddy. It's not as simple as you kept the commandments on the outside while wanting to break them on the inside. It's a complete change of heart. 
It's a complete renunciation of all that I was living for, selling it all that I could follow Jesus. And Jesus says the stunning words, they had to stun the disciples, with man, this is impossible. I am so glad verse 26 doesn't end right there. Aren't you glad that verse 26 doesn't end right there? As though Jesus just said, well, with man, everything, you know, this is impossible. Anybody up for dinner? And off they go. Oh, with man, this is impossible, but, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. Repentance, friend, is a gift from God. It is a gift given that changes the heart and remakes the soul and renews the affection and recreates the creation. In Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. How is it that with God, this is possible? How is it that God can can take a sinner and make them righteous? Can, can, can take down the, the affections that govern us and replace them with new affections for God, with a new love for Christ, with a new desire for Him. There is, there is one thing that God did which makes it possible for Him, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. God took upon Himself the sin of this world, took upon Himself all the wrath that was due to you for your sin. He took it on himself so that you wouldn't have to pay for that sin. How does God make dead sinners alive? How is this possible for God? God put his own living son to death so that dead sinners could be brought to life. That's what he did on the cross. That we could know him. That we who, apart from his work, would have found it impossible. Impossible to know God, to love God, to pursue God from the heart. God has made it possible, and he has done so through Jesus Christ. So just a brief kind of, let me insert a little application here and just say, friend, do you know somebody that's not a believer? Pray for the lost. Pray for the lost because we know who gives repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. Does God hear prayer? Yes, he does. Does God give the gift of repentance? Yes, he does. Then friend, talk to God about your friend. Go to God on behalf of your friends. They won't pray to God, you go for them. They won't look to God, you look to him for them. They would run from God, you run to him on their behalf. God, save my kids. God, save my neighbor. God, save my coworker. God, save my mom, my dad. My brother-in-law, God, please save this one. God, 
tells us he answers prayer, that we might pray in faith. So pray to the one who gives the gift of repentance. I would say it like this. Talk to your friend about God. Share the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. Talk to your friend about God. Then go talk to God about your friend. Okay? This is, this is what we do. Talk to your friend about God. Talk to God about your friend. Both of these. Perhaps God will see fit to use that for the salvation of friends and sons and daughters and coworkers and family. And as you pray for your friend, recognize there's no one too far gone. There's no one too far gone. There's no one, so long as they draw breath, that is so far from salvation. Because guess what? It takes a miracle every time. With man, it in fact is impossible. In fact, if you're preaching to someone and you think it's possible for you to save them, whoa, you've got the wrong perspective on this, right? It is just as possible for you to go over to Confederate Cemetery, a half a mile from here, preach to those tombstones and expect them to get up. I'll tell you, with man, that is impossible. That is what Jesus tells us to do when we go and share the gospel. Do you feel the weight? Like, this probably won't work. You're right, it won't work. You can't save anyone, but with God, all things are possible. So call out to him and be faithful to proclaim. And perhaps the power of God will be on display through weak people sharing his word. So when I, when I see, I think, okay, let's be about proclaiming Christ, praying for the lost. And then I also think, glory to God that we're saved. Glory to God that we're saved. With man, it's impossible. What a, what a devastating word to human pride. There was nothing I could do to get into the kingdom, to change my own heart enough. And yet God, in his mercy, opened my heart. And if you're saved, he opened your heart as well to do what you could never do. Place Jesus on the throne of your heart. Glory to God. All the praise belongs to him that we are saved. All right, so finishing up the passage now, we get to Peter. Peter has realized that the rich young ruler just left, refused to sell everything. He's like, hey, I didn't do that. We didn't do that. Wonder what that means for us. Then Peter, verse 27, said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I tell you, I, I wonder at Peter's words and audacity. What are we getting, Jesus? What's in it for us? And I wonder at the merciful Savior who doesn't rebuke him. Just answers him. He answers him specifically about the 12 apostles in verse 28, and then about all of his followers in verse 29, and that's more for us. So let's see the answer that our Lord gives. And everyone, verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is I would say pretty clear about the cost of discipleship. He doesn't, he doesn't whitewash this. I mean, he's, anyone who 
houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands, there will be a cost to following him. There is the requirement of repenting from every other God, living from every other thing, and it is costly, and he doesn't doesn't overlook that. So he is honest about the cost, but then he's honest about the reward as well, because he says everyone that does that will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. I don't know how your Bible says that, if it says a hundredfold or some said manifold. The, the idea is many, 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 many more times, right? So a hundred's a good round number, great. So if it's only a hundred, what Jesus is, is not, he's, he's not just saying, go and sell it all. His sell it all is, go sell that little bit and get all of this. He's, he's pointing to the magnitude of the reward. And let me tell you, the, the reward of following Christ is a bit disproportionate to the cost of following Christ, all right? He doesn't, he doesn't shy away from the cost. The cost is real. Ah, oh, the reward is worth it. The reward is worth it. And it is far, far, far more than whatever the cost was. It is at least 100 times better then what, that's a good investment. Like if you ever talk to somebody who promises you a hundred times return on your money, run the other way, actually. Um, but if they could do it, that's a good return. That's a fantastic return. Why did I say run the other way? Because, of course, you can't trust somebody with that good of a promise. Unless it's Jesus. <laughs> oh. Unless it's Jesus talking to you, friend, you can trust his word. Build your life on this. There's no one that gets to the end and regrets the cost. No one remembers the cost in the light of all that he gives in return. The reward of discipleship is rich. I think Peter's question is really, to all of our question on some level, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it? I think that really rings loudly for young people who've got supposedly a whole life ahead of them. You know, you know when you're young, you have dreams like you could actually get in the NBA? <laughs> you haven't figured out that that's not going to work out for you? I have to give up the NBA for Jesus? Oh, you know... It, but when you're young, you feel like it's all out there. So much, so much, so much to give up for Jesus. Perhaps there is. I'll tell you what. There is so much more in Jesus for the having than there ever will be in the giving up. He is worth every penny of whatever it is that he calls you to sell to follow him. And friend, this promise was not just for the disciples, not just for pastors. It's not just for care group leaders not just for those who've been members of this church for a long time. Here's what he says in verse 29. And everyone, everyone, everyone. He doesn't say some people, most people. You know, spin the wheel and see if you're one of the people that gets a reward for following. No, 
everyone who follows after him, everyone who's suffered, everyone who's left, everyone who has sold, everyone who has given away, everyone who has forsaken this world and followed him will receive far, far, far more than they ever gave up. That's who Jesus is. That's what it is to follow him. So yes, he calls us to go and sell. And then he calls us to come and follow. But with that, there's like, there's another little phrase. It's like a, a taste and see. Come. In the following of Christ, come taste and see. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Now, I'm not going to stand up here as some prosperity preacher and promise you, give up your $1,000 and he'll give you your $100,000 in this life. This isn't what this says at all. In fact, over and over, he taught, he's speaking very specifically about eternal life and the reward on that day when the Son of Man returns and sits on his throne. Friend, I can promise you with all sincerity that all who get there never regret what they gave up. So if you're struggling in that decision, let me just encourage you. The young man was unable to do. He couldn't get his eyes off his stuff. Get your eyes off that and just look to Jesus. Just look to him. And if the Lord were to open your heart, you would see him as worth far, far more than all that he would call you to give up in return. And friend, I think for the church, for us, this is a call to endurance, isn't it? A call to endure in following after him, to looking forward to that great day, to looking forward to our reward, to looking to Christ who has enough strength for us for each day, enough re repentance, enough grace for us, for our sin for each day, enough forgiveness, enough hope for each day. Church, look to Jesus. He's enough. He'll sustain you until that great day and then give you reward for how he sustained you. Glory to God. <laughs> Praise God for that. Let's stand together. Father, we give you praise that you drew us to yourself, that you did what we could never do, that you did the impossible, and that you made it possible through your son, Jesus, to whom we give all glory this morning. So as we stand now to sing, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Let me just speak to you. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, I would love to talk to you. My wife would love to talk to you. Sean and Jess would love to talk to you. During this next song, after this next song, just don't go home without responding to the Lord. But Lord, we as a church, we just want to praise you and give you thanks and give you glory and confess together, it's worth it to follow you. Receive all the praise and glory as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.